0: Non rock a must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it.
1: Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? But, delusional the, yeah, I love the jet, uh, Delusional. Yeah. Delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. <laughs> she hung up on me? <laughs> 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 So I got yeah. I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we
2: cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when yeah. they're not.
1: that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth, or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Apologia Radio. This is the gospel heard around the world. You can get more at ApologiaStudios.com. That is A-P-O-L-O-G-I-A Studios.com. That's where you guys go to get all of the past episodes, all of the uh, radio programs, podcast episodes, Sheologians, you have, uh, I mean, so much, is there? Sheologians, cultish. you have... Provoked, Apologia Radio, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of radio shows, podcast episodes, really great shows. Thing will be a blessing to your life. Also, you can sign up there for All Access. When you partner with us in All Access, you make everything that we do possible. Uh, everything you see from Apologia Studios, whether it's the teaching ministry, the on-the-street evangelism, even stuff related to the abortion issue, Apologia Studios is in that. And it all takes place because people just like you partner with us in this ministry. You sign up for All Access, you get... Uh, All kinds of additional content, Apologia TV, get Apologia After Show, you get the Academy, all that is there for you guys. And related to sort of what we're doing today and answering questions, you also get the Ask Me Anything that we've added now. That's once a month. All of our Apologia Access ministry partners can essentially uh, plug in and uh, you can do a live Q&A with me every single month and interact uh, that happens once a month of ask me anything right at apology studios. And so that takes place. We have more coming by the way, for our, all of our apology studios, all access partners in ministry. We want to be a blessing to you guys. So we have some exciting things on the horizon. That's Luke, the bear. What, up? um, I was going to ask you that verse you read. That's for this earth, right? That's yeah, that's it's here. Yeah. It actually includes all things and on earth, but only this earth. It was, well, it's, it's supposed to be everything. <laughs> it's everything. Uh, and that was been, a Mormon joke. And doesn't, Yeah, it's God of this earth, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, we are nearing the end of the year, and this is the time of year where we actually give our studio uh, staff uh, a little bit of a break, so you're going to see uh, really no content from Apologia Radio, and I think uh, probably from just about everything, uh for till the end of the month after this week. And so we take a little Christmas break and rest with our families. And then we're gonna hit it hard in January. So much is going on, so I wanted to update you. But before I do, I just want to point you to some great resources. Um you've heard me talking about Bonson U. It's at Apologiastudios.com. Uh Dr. Greg Bonson, one of the greatest philosophers, Christian philosophers, and uh, Christian apologists in the entire history of the Christian church. Um, he had. He was a seminary professor he was a pastor he was a public debater um, he, re- he wrote phenomenal books uh, he will bless your life uh, the Bonson family entrusted us uh, with the collection of all of his resources all of his teaching and we are in the process right now of remastering all of that there's like 2,000 lectures and there's even videos in there we're working on so we are remastering them because many of them are recorded in like the late 80s and 90s and stuff and we're making it sound better for you but as of right now we have lectures up at Apologia Studios, and they are completely for free, thanks to the Bronson family. Uh, sh- I-, I say this because I-, I think you need to hear this. Uh, it shouldn't be free in terms of uh, what went into making the- that stuff and uh, the fact that this used to be seminary content uh, you'd have to pay for to go to seminary to get. Uh, it is the highest level, rigorous Christian education you're going to get. Uh, it is fantastic. It'll bless your life for men who are uh, being raised up for ministry and uh, possibly to be pastors and elders somewhere, I have to be honest with you, I think that the training that you'll get and the equipping you'll get from Dr. Greg Bonson through through Bonson U is better than 98% of seminaries out there today, and uh, it'll bless your life. Bible studies, uh, personal enrichment and growth, it's all there for you, and it is for real free. Uh, and thanks to the Bonson family and thank you to our ministry partners at Apologia Studios for making that all possible. So you just go to Bonson, sorry, you go to ApologiaStudios.com, go to Bonson U, sign up, get your free account and start getting your learning on. Um, it'll bless your life. It, it just truly, truly will. Uh, so ask me anything. Again, I said happens once a month at ApologiaStudios.com. Uh, It's been a blessing to be a part of that last couple months. Dr. James White did the last one actually, and uh, so we're grateful to be a part of that with you guys. And uh, Today we're going to answer some questions that come through the feed, and uh, we'll just spend some time with you guys today and enjoy our time together. Uh, But uh, one last thing to announce, so much to just dump on you guys right now, and that is that uh, endabortionnow.com is where we want to encourage you all to go. Please hear me on this. Don't let it just pass over your head. Go to endabortionnow.com, sign up with your church to get free Training and free resources to go to your local abortion mills to save lives. Uh, babies are being saved every single day because of that training. Because they sign up with their church, they're out now saving lives. I mean, this is a this is no small matter. I mean, every life matters, and it's worth our whole lives to save even one. Yep. But uh, we're literally saving babies every single day through the gospel itself, the church getting out there. I want to thank you near the year end here for all of your participation with us in the last couple of years. Whether you've prayed for us or whether you gave financially, I want to thank you. Uh, I'll let Luke speak to this here in just a moment here. I'll tell you this year, and then Luke can update you as to what's already in store for next year. Not only have we saved thousands and thousands of lives through your giving and partnership with us over the years. Uh, But this last year, we helped our friends in Oklahoma with the Bill of Abolition in Oklahoma. We were able to get going in Arizona. Texas, South Carolina and Pennsylvania bills of equal protection and criminalization, abolition in those states. Um, and we have more coming next year. And the way that that has taken place, you need to hear this. The way that it is has taken place is because every year at the end of the year, we raise our funds we squeeze together a really tight budget for all that we're doing and all that we need to do. And uh, at the end of every year, we do a, we do a fundraising thing once a year uh, to, to get to our budget for that next year, for the next year of fight. And uh, every year you guys have been so gracious to us to bless us so we can stay in this fight and to save more lives and ultimately work to abolish this in our world. Uh, but we're about to do our fundraiser again. You can give at endabortionnow.com even right now. Help us for next year and what we're doing. Uh, it is truly, truly humbling to see all that God is doing. I mean, to have now in numerous states in just one year bills of criminalization and abolition is is a is a huge thing. It's a very, very big deal. And I want to say thanks to God mm. uh, for His grace and allowing us to be a part of this. Thank you to those of you guys who are with us in this fight and you're participating and you're saving lives at the mill and you're going to your legislators. Uh it's going to get let me just say this it's going to get a lot worse for that industry because we're going to beat this and we're going to end it and uh, pastor luke what's happening right now at least on the schedule for next year
2: well there's a lot of things we're hoping to do for sure but there's i mean the the cool thing about the bills you already mentioned um I think you mentioned five or six like those bills are are going to be going in again this year in those states as long as we have a legislator in place that's willing to, to put forth those bills, that will continue to go go in those states. So that's however many you mentioned. We're adding more states uh, this year as well. So I think we'll have a total, I keep forgetting the number, but it's 12 to 14 states total. 12 to 14. Which is amazing. Yeah. So we're adding Louisiana for sure, Colorado for sure. Um, and we're, we keep working on Florida. So I know those two, Indiana, South Carolina, Alaska. Uh,
1: what Kentucky? Kentucky. We just got nope. word that Kentucky, yep, Kentucky Kentucky's Kentucky. on the schedule. Yeah, yep. see,
2: they just keep popping up. Mm-hmm. We back here in Arizona, Texas. Um, I I can't remember them all, but. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's insane. It's totally amazing. It's it's, yeah. it's
1: insane. And, and and here's what I want everyone to understand is that uh, the this work is coming through the church. This is a gospel related right. fight. We are not in in a place of compromise and pragmatism. We are approaching this as Christians, explicitly pointing people to God's word in this. Our legislators to God's word, and we're working for consistency and abolition, criminalization, end, 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 and that's it. And it's coming. It's coming from the church itself. And so End Abortion Now, Action for Life are involved in all these states to get these bills going. Bills going, And so praise the Lord for that. I mean, that is insane. I mean, think about something that's crazy. And Luke and I have talked a lot about this. Uh, Texas had a heartbeat uh, bill uh, fairly recently. And you probably all heard about that, right? I mean, it was all over the news. People are freaking out over a heartbeat bill. The bills that we're putting in aren't heartbeat bills. Uh, They're equal protection for every human from conception. That means everyone's treated the same, equal justice. And that's what they are. And it's happening now across the country so 2022 is going to be a very 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 busy and big year and we want to ask you to partner with us we went from raising up the church saving lives that's all continuing now Uh, 800 local churches approximately are involved in this fight right now. Mm. And then now we have legislation. We're working on legislation. So you could see that mustard seed becoming a large tree. Uh, it is permeating the entirety of the loaf. That's what's happening right now. So continue to pray for us, but we need you to give, we need you to give. And I, I, highlight this often. Luke and I have both consistently said this from the beginning. We are not, we're pastors. We're not interested in any way in starting an industry, we don't, we don't want to do that. We want to end this. And so our hope is it every year, every year, our hope is, I hope we don't do a fundraiser next year, right? Yeah. <laughs> like that's kind of what we're working for. You're trying to work yourself out of a ministry. That's the goal. Work yourself out of a ministry. You want to bring gospel success and then say, okay, we've conquered that enemy on to the next one, right? That's, that's the focus. So for us, it's, we're looking forward to the day where we never ask for another penny to end abortion because it's ended and now onward, Christian soldiers, let's keep moving, next thing. Um, and so what we need right now for the moment in this, this little moment we're in, as we're working to end this and criminalize it, we need the support of brothers and sisters just like you. And I know how this works because I'm, I'm a part of this too. When you hear a ministry doing something very important, you'll hear them have a call say, hey, we need your help. And you'll say, oh, someone else has got that. I wanna encourage you you be the one that's got that. Okay. We need your help. Um, we need you to partner with us. Uh, unfortunately, the world we live in, uh, this, this stuff costs money. Like, it yeah. costs money for us to go to D.C., to the Supreme Court. It costs money for us to go um, and to these legislators in Colorado or other states and to talk to them and to get these bills in motion. It costs money for our staff to live and to produce this content. Who I mean, I'm telling you, if you can see what they do, they work around the clock. They're working around the clock to produce content, to do stuff in a way that glorifies God, it's, it's just a lot of work and it takes a lot of people and um, and we need you to help us get there and we need you to help us get there so we can end this and never ask for another penny to end abortion again. That's the goal, okay? Uh, so pray for us and please give at endabortionnow.com. We essentially have the same budget as last year, which is awesome because what and I want to just say this in terms of success. Praise the Lord for all of you and I want to just fill you in on what's going on in the background here. We were able to keep essentially the same budget that we had from last year Yeah. but we have now more to do right so we even added staff we added staff um that was really needed and we actually have now more to do and more churches coming and we were able to keep the same budget how you like them apples isn't that great I think that's that's an, that's an amazing success story to me yeah that though you grow in the scope of the work itself and really your needs you're able to still keep the same budget so all glory to God for that that's a really praiseworthy thing and that's what's happening right now
2: so um if I can just add yeah. quickly I think it's worth pointing out that you know when we started in abortion now we're running year five I think right um
1: I think that's right yeah I
2: keep losing track but um when we first started in abortion now it was basically oklahoma and texas that were doing bills right there may have been other stuff going on in other states i don't want to exclude them but it was pretty much those two those are the two that inspired us to get started and now we're at 12 to 14 like you said like praise god it's all god it's he gets all the credit and the glory but like you said it costs money (laughs) yeah to do all this and so um you know we do we we're very careful. We do a very minimal budget every year. This we do. the bare bones. We we're going to need to get this stuff done. And yeah. so, you know, but I mean, to go from two to 14 in five years is stinking awesome. It's amazing. It's, stinking it's awesome. amazing. And and I want to get, I want to thank everybody in there in each of these States that we're working with. Um, because obviously it starts there with, with the the local brothers and sisters that are doing the work and then, you know, reaching out to us and then we're able to help partner with them and get these things going. So, yeah, just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah,
1: thank you to everybody. Seriously, thank you guys, and just please continue to stand with us. Please continue to stand with us in 2022, uh, so we can we can we can end this fully and finally. I just can't wait to see the fight next year when you have 12, 14, 15 states. Uh, Oh, it's, but it's going to be, we're going to make some noise. Yeah. So uh, they've been trying to, uh, the pro-life industry is trying to, stifle it. Yeah, they are. And the pro-choicers are trying to stifle it in terms of don't talk about that bill. Don't talk about that bill. Don't yeah. support that bill. But you, it's, it's going to be difficult for you to do that when you have like 15 states yeah. putting in bills of abolition. Yeah. 2022 is going to be awesome. Get it's wrecked. It's going to be great. Yeah. Get wrecked. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's do this. Uh, by the way, I, I totally, Luke, I'm funny, I, I sent uh, Isaac the write-up for the episode today, and in the write-up, I wanted to say we're going to answer some questions and oh, deal dude. with some bad theology.
2: You and, got questions like crazy.
1: So I said, answering your questions and bad theology. I didn't mean I was answering your bad theology. I, I wrote it wrong. Mm. Answering questions and bad theology. I'm not talking to you. I should have said bad theology and and answering questions, we'll probably flip it when this episode's done. I don't know.
2: I've seen some of these questions that might be. <laughs>
1: uh, well, let's do this. Let's just let's have some fun. Let's do it this way, guys. We'll try to go through some of these questions, answer as quickly as possible. Then I'm going to deal with a quick. It's like a two minute video. Pastor James sent Pastor Luke and Zach and myself. Um, good to talk about. Actually, really important stuff. So at some point in here, we're going to cut into this two-minute video and deal with some very, very destructive theology. Uh, but let's, let's work through this. Um, da, 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 da. Let's see here. Um, I don't know if this is a legit question or challenge coming from Eric Aziz. He might just be sort of tongue-in-cheek joking. And uh, if he is great, we'll you know we'll answer it. but if it's a serious uh, question, it's, it''s it's not really a checkmate. He says, if God real, why bad things, why bad thing happen? Checkmate Christians, I think he's probably kidding. Um, that sounds like he's kidding. If God real, why bad things happen? Uh, checkmate Christians. Uh, first of all, if God isn't real, if the God of the Bible is not really there, if God, um, is if this if this is all delusion and not true, then uh, there's no bad things that happen. Nothing is bad. Uh, when you say this is bad and it it ought not to be, you are borrowing from the Christian worldview, which sees that there he is... You said it's a joke, by the way. Yeah, I, f- I figured that. Yeah, but that's it's actually good, I, Eric. I'm glad you did that because. It, it's the most, it's the, it, people think it's the strongest check, chestnut and challenge to the Christian faith. But when someone says, if God's real, why do bad things happen? Well, if God isn't real, there are no bad things that happen. Um, the Christian worldview sees God and his character as transcendent. Uh, God's own character is a standard of righteousness and justice. His character is, um, uh, is he's eternal. Uh, God is immutable he's unchanging and so there's an there's an objective standard of what is true good lovely beautiful just righteous all of that and that's the very character of God that's eternal it's not That God is yielding to some standard that's above him or beneath him or in front of him. God himself is a standard of righteousness and truth and and justice. And so when someone says, if God is true or real, then why do bad things happen? There are no bad things that happen if God isn't there. If this is just uh, chaos, uh, time and chance acting on matter, stuff is just in motion, then nothing is bad. It's just happening. Someone says, yeah, but suffering is bad. No, who says who says suffering is bad? You'd have to assume human dignity. Uh, you'd have to say that human beings are valuable to think that suffering is wrong. Uh, I mean, no one cries over a rock getting split in half, right? And it's it's the same result of evolutionary processes. So why are you whining about humans getting hurt? Do you see the point? I'm, I'm, I'm doing that on purpose. I'm, I'm being direct and absurd on purpose because we all see it. Everyone knows human beings are valuable. Uh, and that human beings should be protected. And so when we see human beings suffering, it hurts because that's, it ought not to be so. I would say that when we admit that suffering is a problem and that this is bad, we're imaging God in that moment because we're, we're showing the image of God that this is the, the, not the way things should be. And so I would actually say only with God can you call something bad. And that leads you into the gospel. Because then you can ask the question, okay, well then why are there bad things? If God is real, then why are there bad things? Great, let's talk about that. God is holy, we're his creatures, we're the rebels in his own world, and uh, we've fallen into sin, we're hostile towards God, enemies of God, and we deserve to be judged, but God loves sinners so much that God entered into his own creation in the person of Christ. Do you see the point? So you move from, let me take away the punch in your challenge by showing you that you've got to borrow from God to deliver such a blow and then now let me explain to you the why the why is related to the gospel itself so that's how you want to answer that question like i said even if it was a joke um it needs to be answered because people think it's a powerful argument
2: i was just going to say if you're watching this live and you're submitting questions um reposting your question over and over again is not going to help it get read <laughs> if anything it's a, it's a turn off and we'll move on to the
1: next question uh, so yeah. we'll
2: do our best to get as many as we can but we're please, turned off now <laughs> please stop post- posting the same question over and over again
1: uh, uh, let's see our next one is um, what are your thoughts Ryan uh, I hope I say this right Kappel, um I hope I, don't, hope I don't butcher your name there what are your thoughts on dispensationalism um, I think it is an error I think that it's um, I think that it's inconsistent. I think that it's destructive to the unity of the covenants and the revelation of God. Uh, dispensationalism is often connected with premillennialism. Of course, today you kind of see some of those running in the same circles. Um, dispensationalism, by the way, uh, when I was in Bible college learning dispensationalism, uh, there wasn't the uh, variety of dispensationalisms. Uh, adopted by everyone like you'd have today there's there's different versions of disp- dispensationalism today I'd say that it's a system that is uh, very inconsistent um, uh, for the purposes of this show when you actually suggest that there was a time in history a dispensation in history where God actually you know tried law out to see if he, people could be saved through law and that just didn't work out so he tried something else then he tried like a dispensation of you know down the road of grace I think that's Holy and consistent with what the apostles said themselves about the covenants and, and in particular about Abraham. And um, there's a consistency, a unity between the covenants in Scripture. Um, and I would say the Bible doesn't see it as, as a dispensations and God sort of trying out different things. Um, and so that's what I would say. Dispensationalism, I think, is an error. Uh, we have some brothers and sisters in Christ who hold to that perspective. I think that they're wrong. I'm sure they think I'm wrong on things as well. I love them for Jesus' sake, but I think that it disrupts the unity of Scripture. Mm. And um, again, dispensational premillennialism is often tied together, and that particular system did not exist right. until the 19th century. So it wasn't in the mind of a Christian. Before the 19th century, made popular by a famous reference Bible called the Schofield Reference Bible. And so when we think about things like the pre-trib rapture, seven years of tribulation, all that stuff didn't exist in the whole history of the church until the 19th century. Very important. And I say that as somebody, and so does Luke, who used to hold to it. Yep. Uh, Born and raised. Born and raised. Um, So next one. There's a lot of crazy questions in here. California wants to make its taxpayers pay for the travel, lodging, and procedures of those seeking abortions from out of state. Wow. What should we do? Protest. Tell them no. Uh, call them to repent. Um, speak to your local uh, city magistrates. Go to them specifically. Ask them to defend you. Uh, find local legislators in your area who are believers, if you can, in California. <laughs> I'm sure they exist they got to exist. There's got to be like last men standing in California. I hope there is boy, I hope there is um, I know Andrew
2: Sandlin's still there
1: yeah Andrew Andrew's there yeah and I'm, I'm just hoping to have someone someone that could fight for them in the legislature go to your legislature yeah. and um, and and have them stand for you with consistency with the word of God uh, call people to repentance if if you're in California, and you're staying there. You're not becoming a refugee. We have so many refugees. How many families were there at, at the membership class this from week? From Cali? Was it three? At least. I think we had three refugee families from yeah. Cali uh, at our membership class this week. And this, and over the last year and a half, we have just a, a number of families yeah. that have fled from California and are now members of our church body. I just talked to a pastor the other day from the The Bay Area. His entire church, his entire church is is uprooting and moving to a town in Texas. The entire church is. Uh, So a lot of refugees. But if you're sticking around to be a voice crying out in the wilderness, uh, be that voice crying out in the wilderness. Don't be passive about it. Don't yeah. be compromised about it. If you look, here's what I would say to believers, and Luke, you can maybe add to this. What I would say to believers who are going to stay in California to fight the good fight, and they're not going to, you know, they're not going to flee. If you're going to be the voice crying in the wilderness, then, then, dang it, you better be a voice crying in the wilderness that people can hear. Yeah. So don't be passive. Don't say, "Well, I'm going to stick it out and try to be light, for, you know, for righteousness in California," but you don't really say or do anything. Look, like if you're going to stay, stay and suffer for the glory of God, for yeah. for Christ's name.
2: Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, we've been getting messages just this last week from brothers and sisters in Germany that are literally like, "Can you recommend a, a immigration lawyer? Because we have to leave Germany. Like, we have to flee. You know." So, um, there's brothers and sisters not just in California, but over the world. And I I listened to a Cross Politic episode the other day. I think it was from last week. There's some some brothers that are connected with Joe Joe Boot up there. They're they're like saying. No, we're not leaving and we're going to stand and we're going to fight and they're doing what you're what you're talking about. They're making noise. Some Mm -hmm. of them have gone to jail. They're getting fined, but they're like, we're not going to we're not abandoning our country and we're not doing it quietly. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's going to take. Yeah. If any, you know, California, even here in Arizona with things wherever, like if you're going to stand, be loud about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Please do. Um, Eric, i make sure I say Yato. Uh, another would be, why did Jesus pray that the cup pass from him when he was just referred to Peter as Satan for seemingly wanting to, Jesus to live rather than die? Great question, Eric. And to uh, to hopefully really encourage you, I fairly recently did an entire sermon on Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, if you look through Apologia Studios thread here, sometime in the last couple of months, maybe three months or so, I think I think it's I think in the title itself it's like Jesus in the garden or, or garden and something. So if you look at that, it's like an hour hour long message on um, Jesus in the garden, and I address that specific issue of Jesus um, actually in the garden and struggling like that and uh, submitting to the will of will of God, which was what Adam was supposed to do, um, and Jesus does it even with his even with. As a true human, even with what he was dealing with in that moment, um, Jesus submits to the will of the Father. Father, um, And so take a look at that. It's an hour-long message. I deal with that specifically, and so hopefully that blesses you. Um, someone says, who were those guys with the signs outside last Sunday? So we have two particular groups right now who are <laughs> hanging outside of Apologia Church. You start a club. We have we've had a number of them over the years. Uh, we have like uh, atheist pro choicers, you know, that show up on our on our doorstep and they protest and things like that. They you know they usually you know fizzle out after a while because atheism doesn't give you a lot of uh, perseverance uh, to do really anything meaningful. Uh, but we have two cults who are standing outside of our church every Sunday. They have been for the last uh, couple of weeks now. We have a Church of Christ cult um, uh, who stands out there, and uh, we also have a flat Earth. Cult led by um, a local guy, um, and uh, he goes to like local events, uh, rallies uh, at downtown Phoenix uh, during First Friday, and now he's uh, he's he's standing post outside of uh, Apologia Church's worship on Sundays and uh, trying to promulgate his perspective uh, on flat Earth and um, among other conspiracies, con- coronavirus conspiracy things related to 666 i think i think he's actually i'm, I'm sure he's gonna he's gonna watch this i'm, I'm confident because sure be he a watched, of this he, watched he watched last time I, I think he's he's a bit fired up because he was refuted in front of his followers because he's been going around for i don't know how long uh calling the coronavirus vac- vaccine the 666 vaccine and he kept saying 666 mm. um uh, clearly unaware of the fact that, um, in the text, uh, from the book of revelation, it is not six, 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 the text is 666. And someone might say, you know, why is that a big deal? It's a very big deal. If I asked you what 200 times two is, you wouldn't say four, zero, zero, you would say 400. (laughs) Um, and, um, he was saying 666, and he kept saying that. And I was like, what? I, I said to him when I ran into him on the street one time, I said, you know, what, what relevance is that? You keep saying 666, but what, where are you getting that from? And obviously he thought he was getting it from the Bible, and he'd come up with all kinds of like very creative things about... Corona and six letters, and you know he was basing it all off off of like six six six. He clearly was unaware of the fact, as a local leader leader of a cult, that uh, the text is six hundred and sixty six. He didn't know that, and now he knows it. And he was, I think, very frustrated by the fact that he was, uh, I think, embarrassed in front of his followers uh, because he is he is definitely a local cult leader, and um, and so he's. I think he's fired up, and I think that agitated him personally. Oh, yeah, totally. personally.
2: And and it was clear. You know, we are people were ignoring him on Sunday because and if you're watching this, my friend, you clearly just want attention and we're not going to give it to you. Yeah. And I'm going to say this publicly. Heckling my wife and kids is cowardly. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm talking to you. Don't be a coward. Don't heckle my wife and kids. We're going to ignore you. And we're not going to give you the attention you want.
1: Yeah. And um and so. So that's what we have outside we have a flat earth cult and we have a church of christ cult and uh that's what's going on so welcome to apologia um let's see here da, 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 da. What do you mean? let's see here oh man there's so many questions there's mm.
2: <laughs> they're all over the place too there's yeah it's just
1: so one. um let's see here uh da, 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 da. Oh. Proverbs 26, 4 through 5. Kaylee asked the question of uh, Proverbs 26, 4 through 5. Uh, we talk about that lot, a lot, and we talk about wisdom in answering. And so if you have a Bible and you go to Proverbs 26, 4 through 5, this is godly wisdom on how to answer. And it says, 26, 4, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. It's interesting because you first read that, it seems like a contradiction, like don't answer, then answer. And it's really a twofold uh, methodology. And when we're doing uh, apologetics and apologetics training, how to defend the Christian faith, we want to use God's word. Uh, not only for the foundation of our philosophy, our worldview, but we also want to use God's word and his principles in terms of how do you answer somebody? And so we call this a twofold apologetic methodology. Don't answer the fool according to his folly, or you'll be like him. In other words, and Dr. Bonson used to always say this, don't adopt their principles, don't stand on their foundation, don't pretend are um, neutrality like them. Don't answer like them. And I think a lot of the failure in Christian apologetics is, it looks like that. We adopt the principles of the unbeliever. We adopt a position of pretended neutrality like the unbeliever in that moment. And I think scripture is very clear here in terms of wisdom on how to answer. Don't answer a fool according to their folly or you're going to be like them. And then the second part of that is answer them according to their folly lest they be wise in their own conceit. And what we say when we talk about that is step into the unbeliever's position at that point. Step into their position, show them what they're standing on, and show them the results of it. Do an internal critique of the fool's system and do it with them. Show them. If we adopt your methodology, your principles, your worldview, then this is what we get. Make them look down at their feet. And so that's the twofold apologetic methodology. Um and let's see here. Let's see here. A question, uh, I just saw it. Oh, I lost it here. Someone asked the question of, should I tell my parents my my brother is gay? Um, if I was in a family, uh, particularly I think it's important to, to, if we're talking about a Christian family, um, that would care about those things. Um, and, uh, you're talking about a brother who is under the roof of his parents and under the care of his parents. I absolutely would tell my parents that sort of a thing. I didn't come from a Christian family. Um, so it wouldn't have mattered in my home. <laughs> uh, but, um, I would, I would definitely uh, say, tell, tell your parents for sure. So you can be in prayer for your brother, but also be, um, uh, allowing him to be an object of your evangelism for sure. Um, how do I convince my Christian friends, lost brothers, if they are truly converted, their salvation cannot be lost? I would uh, take him to Scripture, Aaron, uh, Aaron Polk. Uh, Polk, uh, I would take him to Scripture. That's that's going to be delivering the the winning blow. Um, I, we have a series, I think, that would really bless you in, ter- in total in really working this out from soup to nuts, from bottom to top. And that is our Doctrines of Grace series. Uh, take a look at the Doctrines of Grace series. We've done actually two of those that are, I think, on Apologia Studios. One last year, and I think one a couple of years ago. But uh, Doctrines of Grace series will, will help you from, from bottom to top on that question. But what I like to do is bring someone to John chapter 6. Uh, John chapter 6, Jesus says that I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And he says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given to me, I should lose nothing. So for Jesus, he says that it's the will of the Father that Jesus doesn't lose anybody who has been given to him by the Father. Now, clearly we're talking about true believers there, people who are truly belonging to Christ. But Jesus says that it's God's will that he not lose anyone. So if you say that somebody who's truly saved can be lost, then what you're saying is that Jesus can fail in doing the will of the Father. And I think we all know. Uh, that's bad theology. That doesn't work. And uh, Jesus doesn't fail at all. Jesus actually says in that same chapter, he says in John 6, 44, he says, no man can come to me. No man is able to come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up. So if you go backwards, he raises up the one the father draws, the one that could not come. They had no ability in themselves to come. Until the Father drew them, and then Jesus says, "And I will raise him up." So, if we're going to say that somebody can be drawn by the Father, truly drawn by the Father, come to Christ, and that Jesus doesn't ultimately raise them up to spiritual life, well, then what you're saying is that Jesus uh, breaks his promises. Now, what do you think is uh, what do you think is more likely uh, that your theology or your soteriology is wrong, or that Jesus lies? Jesus doesn't lie. Right. And so your theo- your soteriology is wrong. And so I would say, go to John six, go to John 10. And I like to do that. Uh, and Luke, you can fill in here anytime you want. Uh, um, I like to do that because we're not talking about just a, a, a proof text. Like, you know, we're quote mining in scripture for like a verse that just, you know, this, this verse says it, so it's got to work for me. Church of Christ does that all the time. That's the way to deal with them on the sidewalk is they quote yeah. mine out of context. Right. Now, I'm not saying you can't go to proof texts in scripture that teach that, of course, God, once God saves, you know, he keeps you. He finishes what he started. He won't ever lose you. I'm not saying there aren't those proof texts there. Of course they are, but they're in context. I like to bring people to John 6 and John 10 because those are entire discourses. Like, their are whole discourses where Jesus repeatedly keeps saying, uh, keeps speaking about his relationship to his sheep and his people and not losing them ever, not forsaking them. They're in, they're in his hand, and nothing can snatch them from his hand. He knows his sheep, and they know him, and he gives them eternal life. And there's only one kind of life. It's eternal life and uh, that Jesus gives, and that means forever eternal life. And so uh, those are whole discourses. So let somebody deal with Christ in the entire discourse that's what i think you should be doing and let's see here let's do this let's go ahead and jump into the question now so as you guys are uh, putting more questions in there we're going to try to get to more uh i'm going to play this for you now this is someone named matt lewis on twitter um uh we're never on twitter uh, because we think I it's a dumpster it. it's a dumpster fire but i get sent stuff from twitter no. uh, often and, and it takes me
2: 15 minutes to figure out what's happening.
1: Yeah, it's difficult. So it's Matt Lewis. He says, I talked with David A. French about Christmas and why Jesus' followers were, and many still are, obsessed with a powerful, earthy king, not the Prince of Peace. And he says, watch the whole thing here. So it's about a two-minute clip. And, and
2: remind me, who's David French? I know the name. I just could not think of who. Do you know who he is? No. No okay <laughs> sorry I'm, no i know james, no james taken. often send us stuff or like, given. look at so and so said, and i'm like i don't know who that is yeah
1: no offense given sorry yeah. I, i'm just sorry, uh, i
2: just know the name but i can't remember who anyways genuinely don't um, okay
1: and so uh here is the discussion never mind well let me just go ahead and reload that page something's been going on, <laughs> on with my computer And the setup here, let's see if it works out now. Oh, here we go. I'm going to get it up and then uh, put it back. There you go. All right.
0: That I think is super worth focusing in on in a politically contentious time when we are so focused on power. We are so focused on power. How much that is contrary in so many ways to the story of Jesus Christ himself. Um, This was not a baby born into power. He was born into a uh, a colonial backwater, colonial is the wrong term, but the backwater of a much larger empire to an oppressed people, not in a circumstance of power and privilege, was immediately chased out of his own country, had to immediately flee his own country. Then when he began to develop a ministry, he developed a ministry and surrounded himself with people that no matter how much he would tell them,
1: so let's just start there. Now, I know there's, there's more to the conversation, so I'll be cautious with how much I delve into this. But in, in seeing this and kind of knowing where he goes from this point on, I, th- I think it's important to note that Scripture doesn't keep Jesus in a manger. <laughs> right? I, I, that seems silly, but I mean, it's, it should be something that's patently obvious to us. Yes, Scripture talks about the condescension. Of, of the Savior, that he, he stepped into this humility that, um, you know, in Philippians, he was in the very form of God, and he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto, but he emptied himself. So what does that tell you? Well, it tells you something similar to what Jesus says in John 17, where he says, "'Father, now glorify me with yourself, with the glory that I shared with you before the world was.'" And so there is Christ who is the eternal God, the second person of the Trinity, who is the all-powerful. He says he's talking so much about power, like he's, you know, not power, not power, not power. Well, he's the all-powerful God. Right. And he condescends to be humbled even to the point of death. But I think it's important when we talk about this and we're trying to be dismissive about the authority of Jesus and his power and his his kingdom rule – I think it's important for us to note that we're talking about Jesus that has an entire backstory. He has a whole backstory. It doesn't start, it doesn't start in Bethlehem. Mm. There's an entire backstory of who he is. Uh, John says in John one one, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So in archein Halagos, that's forever ago. He was already there. Jesus existed forever in face to face, intimate fellowship with the Father. Jesus shared the glory of the Father before the incarnation. Jesus had all power, all power, fully God. And he condescends to become a baby in the womb of uh, the Virgin Mary, and then, of course, into a manger, and then, of course, on the run. Um, uh, when, but this is also what's really important here when he talks about this. It's like you're going to hear in a moment like where this is going. So I already know where this is going. It's a short clip. I know where it's going. The dismissive nature of the kingdom of God and its impact on Earth. That's really what he's taking aim at. Like we need, we need, we need to not be concerned about pressing the crown rights of Jesus Christ in the earthly realm. Like God has no concern for that. Totally absurd, totally unbiblical, absolutely contrary to both the Old and the New Testaments. Whole discourses, whole chapters uh it, entire themes in the scripture that really would refute what this man is saying very very dualistic perspective I'm I'm sensing here um maybe there's a tinge of gnosticism we're getting here in terms of like this heavenly realm yeah. higher story the earthly realm god's not really concerned with like his kingdom on earth that is just not biblical christianity don't call it biblical don't say it's bible just don't just don't um and so We have to recognize, yes, God condescended in the person of Christ, Christ, in the womb of the Virgin Mary, into a manger in Bethlehem, but he didn't stay a baby in a manger. He lived a righteous and blameless life. He fulfilled all prophecy, died for sins, and rose again from the dead. And then, this is what so many Christians don't talk enough about, he ascended. He ascended for Paul. That's part of his story. First Corinthians 15. Here's the gospel. Jesus did this. And now he is reigning mm. on his throne. And he must reign until every enemy is placed under his feet as a footstool for his feet. And so this whole thing of like dismissiveness about the authority of Christ, the power of Christ, and and his and and what exactly his message is supposed to do in the world. Um, this, this is the problem with modern evangelism, uh, is exactly this. It's this departure from the historic Christian faith that sees like the spiritual higher story. That's the better thing. And Jesus is just this lowly, you know, baby in a manger sort of a thing. He didn't come for power. No, actually, if you heard what I read at the beginning of the show today, Colossians actually says that the purpose of it all was ultimately to do What? to subdue all things in heaven and earth under him. And so that's the message that Paul has. I'll read it to you again. Here it is again. Colossians chapter one, after Paul affirms the deity of Christ, that Jesus created everything in existence, whether it's in heaven or on earth, it says that um, uh, all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth mm-hmm. or in heaven, so this whole dismissive nature to the stuff on earth, and like we're not really concerned with the power and the authority of Christ and His kingdom in the world, the actual earth today. This is like this heavenly thing out there. That again, that's not biblical Christianity. Don't call it that. Yeah. You've you've been deluded and you've adopted essentially uh, unbelieving perspectives of the world. You didn't get that from Scripture because Paul actually says about Jesus that he was going to reconcile all things on earth and heaven together. Um, and so I think it's really important to address that. This is, I think, the problem with modern evangelism is this kind of perspective. It actually neuters Christians. Mm. It neuters them. They become uh, incapable, unwilling to engage the world with the message of the gospel and to press the crown rights of Christ into
0: every area of life because of really, really poor uh, perspectives like this man holds. What his kingdom really was, they still believed his kingdom was going to be an earthly kingdom. I mean, right up. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) because the Old Testament
1: said it was going to be an earthly kingdom. It was going to be a kingdom that impacted the world. You see, don't forget, this is really important. In the garden... In the garden, what do you have in the garden? God with his people, heaven and earth are together in the garden. That's how the biblical story starts. It's, it's the spiritual and the physical in this cohabitation. They are mingled together. It's a perfect unity and harmony between heaven and earth. What happens in the garden is sin enters into the world. Man is sent out from the presence of God. He goes into the spiritual desert in this wasteland, and the ground is cursed and all the rest. The curse fall happens. And that biblical story moves from that point of the fall, and it's just a promise forward of God's going to solve this. God's going to save. God's going to bring redemption. Here's coming the Messiah. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. The Old Testament is this, is this uh rehearsal for the big day, whether it's temple, priests, all that stuff. It's just rehearsing, rehearsing for Jesus, final, his, his coming into the world, the incarnation. But here's what's really important. This guy is just feeding, feeding material to the Jews today who reject Jesus. Let me just say that. This kind of, uh, when I say it's destructive, it's destructive on a number of levels. I mean, in terms of neutering Christians, all the rest, it's just bad theology. It's not biblical. Um, but it's also bad because you literally are just feeding arguments to the Jews today who will listen to this nonsense about, you know, like they were still thinking it was an earthly kingdom and that Jews today would just laugh. (laughs) I mean, Jesus isn't the Messiah. Well, what do you mean Jesus isn't the Messiah? Uh, Because we have verse after verse after verse after verse after verse in the Old Testament that says the Messiah's kingdom is going to actually be something that impacts this world and this life. It's not just heavenly things, it's this world. Example, um, Psalm 22, All the families of the earth will return to worship Yahweh. The world's going to be covered with the knowledge of God like the waters cover the sea. Psalm 72, he shall have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. All the tribes are going to bow down before him. His enemies lick the dust. Uh, Genesis 49.10, to him shall be the obedience of the nations. You also have Isaiah chapter 2 where it says that God's going to draw the nations up to his mountain. And it says the nations are going to come up to God for redemption. Then it says the law of God is going to go forth from Zion into the world. And then it says in Isaiah 42, that this righteous servant who is coming, the one who won't um, you know, break a bruised reed and, and a faintly smoldering wick, he will not extinguish. It says that he will establish justice in the earth, on the earth, and he won't grow faint or weary until he's done so. And it says the coastlands are waiting for his law. So the Jews understood the Messiah is going to impact this world actual, this actual world, and justice and righteousness are going to be a part of that affecting the world. In this life, he's going to have offspring as numerous as the stars, like the sand on the seashore. The Jews understood that the Messiah's kingdom was actually going to affect this life and this world. Isaiah 65 is a good example of that. Isaiah 65 talks about the covenant people of God being judged for their sin, and then God actually feeding His servants, and they're going to drink, and He's going to call them by a new name. And it talks about this is a long discussion. <laughs> it talks about new heavens and new earth, but that's all covenantal language that Isaiah's already used to describe covenants. And it says that that what's going to happen in Messiah's kingdom is going to actually affect the world itself, even to lifespans. People are living and dying. Um, that's clearly this world. But more importantly, and I'll end with this, and Luke, I think you want to say something. Yeah, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, just obliterates this kind of thinking. All authority in heaven and on earth. on earth. How many times do we need to say that before it finally gets through to all of us? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's past tense, first century. He said that in the context of Rome, in control that day. He said he had authority over Caesar that day. And he says therefore go, because I have all authority in heaven and on earth, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptize them, and do what with them? Teach them to obey. And I'll just leave this and pass it to Luke. If we win the nations to Jesus as he commanded us to do, if we win the nations to Jesus as he commanded, and we teach them to obey his law, do you think that affects culture? You think the world's going to look different? This physical world will look different because of the great commission? Mm. I call this kind of perspective the great omission. It's just lacking the authority of Christ and the goal of the gospel. It's the omission of what is so great. This is the great commission. It's not just wishful thinking. It's a command. And so keep in mind in a moment when you think about what is the goal here, if we teach the nations to obey Jesus, does it affect culture?
2: So going back to Colossians one, and I'm, I'm gonna tie this all together like a fine rug. But um, I mean, it's all it has to do with everything you're talking about, whether it be dispensationalism. Um, you know, the the point is I'm trying to make is that Colossians one's always been big for me because we use it a lot for, with the cults talking about the deity of Christ. Yeah, it's right? deity, yeah. But like after that, like people don't read the rest of Colossians one where you mentioned on all things on earth, rather than heaven on earth, all things on earth. Like that's so important. And, and and growing up dispensational, I don't ever remember anybody ever even reading that verse because I think it's, it's, it's a problem for dispensationalists and and premillennialists. It
1: brings complications,
2: significant complications because growing up, you just think, well, we're getting raptured off and God's going to blow this thing up and start over. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's huge. And, and I, I'll i be honest, I would love to hear a dispensationalist uh, or a pre-millennialist explain that verse to me because I don't know that I've ever heard an explanation for that.
1: Yeah, in terms of tying this together with all of that Paul yeah. says is the goal of the gospel and what God's going to do in Christ. Right. He has, a, he has a consistent story and timeline of history. You're right.
2: So that verse has been huge to me, just understanding our mission here on earth, yeah. understanding the Great Commission. And all things. All things. Yeah. You know, that that's all...
1: on earth on earth. It's important. Yeah, it is important. And, and, you know, we, we address this quite often, just the complications that come into the Christian life and in terms of the things that impact the Christian witness in the world from us. When we teach people to essentially see this division between the spiritual and the physical, right. like what God is so concerned with is that spiritual higher story right. out there. He's not so concerned with this life, this world, and, and these things. That's crazy. That yeah. is that is absolutely crazy. We've adopted, and we don't even know it. We're not even self-aware. We've adopted essentially a, a form of, of Christian Gnosticism. Absolutely,
2: which was highly condemned in the New Testament. That's
1: right, exactly. Like the enemies of the Christian church, we've bought into their position and we're just propagating it as though it was Christianity. Yeah. Whereas the Bible sees heaven and earth, that together, that's the ultimate goal. It's not just to get to this this gassy, airy spiritual existence out there somewhere someday. It's not about leaving your humanity behind so you can escape into the spiritual realm. Right. It's really about God's redemption unifying all of this once again together. And that's that's a good story. I mean, you're going to live forever with Jesus if you're in Christ in this physical world, in this world, with God, heaven and earth together, a, a, a renewed cosmos. Yes. Right. It's going to be different, but the same. It's this place. Like, for example, we're going to be physically raised one day. Right. That's the Christian confession. Um, is it going to be different? Well, yeah, you are going to have a glorified body, but it's going to be you, your body raised from the dead he doesn't raise some other body from the dead he raises you from the dead so different but the same right renewed glorified that's where the world is going but jesus and the apostles taught that the rule of the messiah had broken into physical history the real world the kingdom of god was actually a present reality In the first century, it broken into the world. That was their message. This is the gospel of the kingdom, the rule of the Messiah. And if you question, like, where does his authority end? It doesn't. It's everywhere, heaven and earth. It's here on this life. That's why Christians could say from the first century that Jesus is the king of kings, Mm -hmm. the lord of lords, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Guys, this is crazy. They were saying those audacious claims in the first century with a Caesar on the throne. That's a big deal. Like their perspective was clearly different from this gentleman in terms of how they viewed the authority and the power of Christ and essentially the mission
0: of the kingdom of God. Until the very end, then he's crucified on a cross by the imperial power with just a handful of followers around him. And they're still not getting it. They're still not getting it. And Even when he's resurrected, they're not fully getting it. (laughs) They're not fully getting it. You know, it took the day of Pentecost. It took um, much more over time to sort of deconstruct what all of these folks thought about what a Messiah was going to be. And then reconstruct what their understanding of what a Messiah actually was. And what the Christmas season does, I think, is a reminder. Hmm. How do you respond to that? Um When Jesus
1: chastises the disciples on the road to Emmaus, how does he chastise them? He doesn't tell them they were wrong about what they thought about the kingdom of God. He chastises them because he was dead and they thought that was the end. What does he chastise them for? He chastises them for being slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Mm. He chastises them for being foolish... Right? To, to, about what? Not believing what the scriptures said about him. He didn't come in with like some novelty. Like, yeah, I know you guys thought all that stuff about the kingdom of God and all that, stuff like, that like this world and that kind of stuff. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you something entirely new. No, actually, he chastises them for not believing what the Bible said right. about what was going to take place. The Bible did prophesy the death of the Messiah. It said it. Yeah, I mean, it told you the Messiah is going to die. I'll give you three places that the, that the Old Testament said the Messiah was going to die. Psalm 22 says he was going to die. Um, Isaiah 53 says he's going to die. He's going to be cut off. Uh, Daniel chapter 9 says he's going to die. Three places in the Old Testament said the Messiah was going to die and rise again. And that's what they were chastised for. And by the way, when you say like, you know, they, they deconstructed, No, actually what they began to see was, oh my goodness, the story was actually fuller than we thought. He actually was going to die and rise again. That's Messiah is not just the conquering king. That's the problem. You're missing this here is that they understood the Messiah to be a conquering king that wins this world where they were confused was not about that point. They were confused about the suffering servant that he was going to die for sins and rise from the dead. That's what they were confused about. They weren't confused about the kingdom of God winning the world to Yahweh and all the nations returning to God. That is not what they deconstructed. They actually had a fuller understanding now, oh, this is how he's going to win the world because of his suffering. But what's interesting is that no, their message didn't change. It didn't deconstruct out If I guess, I guess the kingdom of God's got nothing to do with this world now. Like it's not going to change the world and world history like the Old Testament says. How do you know that's not the case? Because they continue to preach about the kingdom of God throughout the book of Acts. You see that that was a core part of the Apostle Paul's message in Romans chapter 1, in Romans chapter 16, and goodness gracious, Romans, sorry, the book of Acts, at the very end of the book of Acts, how does it leave you? It leaves you with Paul awaiting trial, doing what? continuously teaching and preaching about what? The kingdom of God, the rule of God. And so I'm sorry, this, this is just a, I'm going to be as gracious as I possibly can be here. This is a bootleg version of the Christian faith and message. This is not consistent with the scriptures and it's entirely destructive. This affects Christian witness. It neuters Christians because it essentially takes Christians and says, no, your focus should really be somewhere else. You don't need to worry about all this stuff, this earthly stuff, and pressing the authority of Christ and His 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 kingdom rule in the world around you via the gospel and the influence of the church. You don't need to do that, right? You can just focus on these other humble, heavenly things out here. Um, I think it's destructive. And as I said, I think if there's a word for it, neuter. You neuter Christians.
0: kinder to Christians that... If we are to imitate our Savior, and as Christ said, take up your cross and follow me, then our lives are not to be defined by the lust for power. Um, our understanding of... So uh, he creates a
1: false dichotomy here. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we're to take up our cross to follow Jesus. Yeah. Yep. Yes, you, com- you come to die. <laughs> You come die to yourself, and you come be joined to Christ in His His death and resurrection. Amen to that. We preach that too. I'm glad you brought that up. But then He gives you a choice. He gives you two choices, right? Uh, you got one choice over here, and that's to is to follow Christ, come to die, and rise again. And the other choice over here is to have a lust for power. <laughs> yeah, really? <Yes>. Is that <laughs> are those my only two choices? Yeah, that's it. I can you only can... come to Jesus in that way that He calls me to, or I can just have a lust for power. Um, that's what's created
2: where we're at now in our culture, <laughs> because the church is just this weak, effeminate. I was going to carry the cross and do what they tell me, and right, right. Let the government be tyrannical.
1: Is that is that a is that what um is that what Jesus meant when he talked to Peter when he said you know you're the Messiah the Son of the Living God and he says uh, the gates of hell right. will not prevail against the church. Think no, about it. Yeah, no. <laughs> the gate the gates the gates do what? They defend things. Right, they protect right? Ga- gates aren't like running across a field and you know <laughs> grabbing hold of your city. Gates are defending a city. Right. And so when Jesus talks about his church, his ecclesia, his gathering, the called out ones, he says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Okay, so gates are defensive. Those gates represent the gates of hell, and the gates will not prevail against the church. Mm-hmm. What's that mean? It means that the church is taking down and storming the gates of hell and they won't prevail against the church who is the offensive force of the gospel in history. We are offensive taking over the gates of hell and they will not prevail. And by the way, let me just say this, the easiest way to handle this. And I know that I'm being very straightforward and very bold today. I'm sorry. This stuff just neuters a church. It destroys the church. This is the kind of nonsense that actually keeps people out of the fight against abortion. It truly does. It truly oh, absolutely. Dis- it disconnects people from this world and their responsibility as a Christian to be light in the world and be salt in the world. It really is just entirely destructive. Um but is this is this the kind of mentality you see in the book of Acts? Do do you do you see the followers of Jesus, the apostles themselves who walked with Jesus, do you see them behaving in a way that resembles the sorts of things that this man is saying in terms of like the church and its mission in the world? I mean, do you see them just these just these meek and mild people, you know, not pressing the crown rights and authority of Christ and the culture around them, you know, not, not being concerned with Christ and his authority and rule being pressed in this life and this earth and this world? Uh, No, actually, you see them uh, taking beatings on the run for their lives, starting riots in cities, not because their behavior. They didn't just have a lust for power, a (laughs) lust for power, and they're going into cities just, you know, as lust for power. No, they're going in as sheep. They're going in as followers of Jesus, people who have died and risen again with Christ. But they're going in pressing the message of his authority and kingdom into the world, which is doing what? Starting riots, getting beatings, being thrown in jail, all that stuff. And they, they go in and they're being charged, like, don't speak in his name. And they're being, you know, getting in trouble a bunch with, like, the powers that be of their day. And they're saying, we must obey God rather than men. Like, that's how they did it. They said, you know, you're an earthly authority. Yeah, but you you don't, you're not, you're not overcoming his authority. He has all the power right here. He has all the authority here. I mean, Peter, early on in the book of Acts, actually defies the same council situation that he just was terrified of. Like, I mean, essentially days before, I mean, it wasn't literally days, but very shortly before he's so afraid of the council, like with Jesus that he's, he's hiding like in the courtyard. He's afraid of a little slave girl because he's so terrified of a council. Like the guy is so transformed that now he's saying to a council you murdered Jesus, like you're guilty. And he actually takes the word said about Caesar in his day, about salvation and no other, but Caesar, uh, and no one can be saved except through Caesar. He actually adjusts the Roman slogan and he places Jesus name in it. So like, talk about power, talk about authority, talk about this life and this world. Peter does that. There's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. That was said about Rome. He says, it's Jesus. I mean, talk about in-your-face earthly power grab. (laughs) Like, right? I mean, that's a pretty significant power grab there to say, no, that's Jesus. He has authority over you, Caesar. Uh, Was Caesar in the world? Was Caesar a power in this life and this world? Yes, he was. And the apostles came right up against that. And they said, no, it's Jesus. You repent and believe in a hurry.
2: I just don't know who's going around saying, I need power. (laughs) Like, I don't... I don't know any Christians like that. Yeah. We're, the Christians I know are saying repent and believe in the power of Christ right. under his authority. But I just don't know anyone going around with, with that mentality. Uh, uh, it's silly it's and destructive. destructive. It
1: is. Yeah, it is, it is. What it
0: means to be a Christian or the health and vitality of the church is not defined by our power. And, and I think that that's an important reminder at Christmas. It's an incredibly important reminder at Easter. These are two seminal moments of a reminder that it is not the raw political and cultural power of the church that causes the church to thrive. It is not the
1: raw political and cultural power that causes the church to thrive. Okay, I, I would if I he was in front of me right now I'd want to ask him what what exactly do you mean by that, but I think if I can address it just up front uh, I would say, um, when Jesus gave the great commission and he said he had all authority in heaven and on earth, today he already has that, and he says to go disciple the nations on that basis, baptize them and teach them to obey. Can I just ask him? some practical questions about that. Um, If the church presses the crown rights of Christ and his kingdom and the message of the gospel in the world, and that actually brings light to darkness and it actually makes things salty and it preserves the world from spoil and decay, which is what we're commanded to do, by the way, in the Sermon on the Mount, Mm. that whole message about the kingdom itself. That's the role of the church. Be salt, be light. Well, let me just ask it in this way. I'll start with this one. Um, Is the church supposed to be salty and light in the area of politics where they're talking about morality? I mean, that's what all politics is, right? It's legislation of morality. You're saying that this ought to be the case, so we need to make laws about it. Like, that's what you're doing. Does the church have something to say with the voice of Christ in the area of morality, public morality? If you say yes... Well, I question the statement you just made, because actually, here's what I would suggest. I would suggest that a nation like, let's just say that the nation we're in right now, the United States of America, that's been so influenced by the gospel, I know that we have lost a lot of traction because of bootleg theologies like this, gentlemen's. We've lost a lot of traction in the last uh, couple of generations, again, again, because of these belief systems propagated within evangelism. Um, but a, a nation like ours that was so impacted by the gospel itself and we got all these biblical principles of justice and freedom, liberty, all of that in the world. Were we able, because of that influence, that cultural influence of Christianity, were we able to accomplish some massive mission work in the last couple hundred years? I'd say yes. I'd say because of the, the influence of the gospel, the culture of the gospel itself, the kingdom of God, we were able to create um, circumstances that allowed the church to thrive. Under that kind of gospel liberty, we were thriving under that gospel liberty. When you say the church doesn't, you know, thrive because that, well, let me say this: uh, really, you think the church in North Korea right now might disagree with you? How about the Christians right now in China, mm-hmm. who have been imprisoned because of the uh, communist regime in China? Do you think they would agree with your assessment? Uh, that like, you know, the culture that flows downstream from the church, you know, is really meaningless. Like, doesn't really matter. We're not aiming for that sort of a thing. And by the way, I would say that if you read the Old Testament prophecies, and I can't even begin to touch them all right now, but if you read the Old Testament prophecies about the rule of Jesus in history, it does teach that the rule of Jesus in history is going to impact the world itself. hmm I just take Isaiah 2 for as an example. Isaiah 2, when it says that the nations stream up to God's mountain and God's Torah, his instruction, goes forth from the people of God, do you think that if the law of God and God's instruction goes forth from the people of God, it affects culture? I do. Absolutely. How about Isaiah 42, when it says that this servant, this gentle, lowly servant, who is the ruler of the world when it says that he will establish justice on the earth and the coastlands are waiting for his law. uh, Do you think those coastlands, when they get his law, that the culture is going to be different? So this, this whole idea of like poo pooing on, on Christian culture and Christian influence in the world, I just would say it's as simple as this. That's a denial of the great commission. Absolutely. It's just a denial of the great commission. That's all it is. All authority. win the world teach them to obey Jesus do you think if the world is one and they obey Jesus, that culture will look different? Can I ask you a question? Yeah, if you, if you, and I'll, I'll shut up here. Uh, if you win a nation to Jesus uh, and you teach them to obey Jesus, if that really actually happens, do you think their political system will look different than, say, North Korea? <laughs> you think it will? I would hope so. I think it will. <laughs> Like, I think, I think if you had a nation that said, we're a Christian nation, you know, the gospel has impacted our world and our society so much. This is a, this is a place that worships and glorifies Jesus. I would say that the politicians in that nation, the people who are like civil magistrates and in the government of the nation, I'd say they look a lot different than Kim Jong-un yeah, and Kim Jong-il. I think so. I hope so. I hope that a Christian nation doesn't look like the Communist Party, the CCP. I hope so. I think so. I think the law of God so transforms people that God says in Ezekiel 36 that he puts his law within them. He changes their hearts from stone to flesh, and he puts his spirit within them so that they'll obey his statutes. Do you think that if people have this new heart and they want to obey God's statutes and God gives them the power to do so, that their culture downstream from that looks different? I think so. I think that that's what the Great Commission actually would necessitate. And so, I was just going to say,
2: I think... I've actually had this conversation a a bunch recently. It seems like it's that time of year that pops up for whatever reason. But I think what he's actually attacking is uh, probably the seven mountain mandate or new apostolic reformation, that sort of uh, theology, which essentially says that it's top down, you know, that we have to conquer politics. That may be where he's getting this power hungry thing from. We need to conquer Hollywood and all these things and then we can usher in Christ's kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the literal, literal reverse of what we're saying. We're saying it starts with the gospel. It starts in the individual and then moves outward. And Christ's kingdom's already here. Yeah. It's already been ushered and we're just helping it grow and expand. It's growing now. It's yeah.
1: expanding. It's going from the seed to the tree. Exactly. Very good. Uh, Pedro, I'll just do some quick ones. I'll just try to maybe yes or no. Okay. Okay. Pedro Cardoso, uh, can women be uh, the head of a church making decisions and directing the church goals, vision, answer? No. No. Uh, Isaiah clearly teaches that uh, when women are ruling over people, that it's judgment from God. Uh, scripture clearly teaches the apostle Paul says that he does not permit a woman to take authority over a man. Uh, and all of the, uh, qualifications and roles for, uh, say pastor elders and scripture shepherds are for men. What if it was a man dressed as a woman? (laughs) (laughs) Tough questions of the day. (laughs) How do you work that out? We have other issues in that case. Um, let's see here. Uh, does Matthew 24 support premillennialism I would actually say that the issues related to Matthew twenty-four and the Great Tribulation um, uh, are are different than the issues of premillennialism. But I do not believe that uh, that the Great Tribulation spoken of in Matthew twenty-four, Luke twenty-one, Mark thirteen. Uh, can fit within premillennialism. I do not believe so because I believe that Jesus clearly said when he was coming to judge, he said it was going to happen to that generation before they all passed away. Uh, I don't think you can take that passage and appropriately, exegetically place it into our future without making Jesus look like a false prophet. Um, And atheists have picked up on that as well, and they use it often. Um, And I think we'll we'll probably end there because we're already over an hour, aren't we? Yep just over you all right um we have any uh, just a lot of there's so many questions, good questions all over the place yeah. i'll tell you what guys here's it makes it a little easier we have like limited time we could do this today uh, i'll tell you um why did why did jeff get double jabbed i know, i haven't been jabbed at all <laughs> Double jabbed. I
2: don't even know what that I don't owns. know what that
1: means. I hope it doesn't mean the the jab. Oh, jab. like the I, cookie? I, I, that thing. Uh, I, I have not. Uh, not even one. You need to uh, listen to my message. Huh. It was a Christian response to mandatory cookies if you think that we have been uh, this. I can't say the word because then we might get looked suppressed or <laughs> looked at or suppressed or whatever. Um, okay, so let me just say that... Um, we do this once a month uh, at Ask Me Anything. If you are a uh, supporter of ours, you're partnering a ministry with us at Apologia Studios with all access. Not only are you getting all that additional great content, you're partnering with us in ministry, but you get to ask me anything once a month. We, we sit together with you live. You can ask questions. It's a little easier to manage, actually, during that time period. So go sign up for... All Access, you'll be partnering with us in ministry affecting the whole world with the gospel, but you'll also um, get Ask Me Anything where we can hang out together uh, once a month. And so that's what that looks like. I want to say thank you to everybody. Luke, is this our last? Of the year? It is, isn't it? It is. We will see you next year. It is. That's right. So this is our last show. I always like to say that. Yeah. (laughs) See you next year. Uh, This is our last show, everybody, for 2021. Our last Apologia Radio, thank you so, so much for joining us this last year and all the years that we've been serving God together with you. Thank you so much for being a part of what we're doing. Thank you for your love. Thanks for sharing the content, and uh, thank you for your blessing to us. Uh, Your encouraging words constantly to us. Uh, They've been a real real gift to us, so we appreciate that. Don't forget to go to endabortionnow.com. Sign up with us. uh, Partner with us. Go save some babies with us. We'll give you free training, free resources, and give. Give at endabortionnow.com. Help us to once and for all abolish and criminalize abortion in our world. That's Luke the Bear. Peace out. I'm Merry Christmas. Jeff, the comment and Ninja. Merry Christmas, everybody. Catch Happy New time. Year. Happy New Year. See you next year.
2: To you in jail.